energy. We walked around for 35 minutes just in the parking lot looking for this car. The passion. UVN schedules the way they do to get as high a seed as possible in the NCAA tournament and to get as much tournament prep as they can because they're not going to get it from their league. The opinions on all your favorite teams. The organization should be taking care of Matt rather than Matt taking care of the organization. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas show here on a Friday on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. That's right. The special two-hour morning edition of the Brady Farkas show. Two hours of sports with your morning coffee here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. And before we go any further, before we go any further, let me get the logistics out of the way and make this perfectly clear because I know I'm going to need to. As far as I know, the Brady Farkas show in the morning is a one-time thing. Producer Danny's already taking your phone calls about why is Vermont Viewpoint not on. I promise you, Vermont Viewpoint will be back on Monday. Brady Farkas show for a special two-hour edition, one day only. That's it, one day only. Vermont Viewpoint, back on Monday. So put the pitchforks away, and let's all enjoy sports for this one two-hour section of our day. I am pumped to be doing this. This is great for me on many, many levels. And uh, again, if you're someone who wants from my viewpoint, it will be back on Monday. So if you are one of my loyal afternoon show listeners, Brady Farkas show usually airs at 5.30 at night. In fact, I'm going to be doing double duty today. We will be on at 5.30 tonight. If you are a loyal afternoon show listener, thank you so much for joining us here in the morning. If you are hearing this show and me for the first time, Thanks for being with us. All I ask is that you give it a chance, right? You always listen to this station. You always listen to Vermont Viewpoint at this time. Give the sports show a chance, and I think we'll all have a lot of fun. So we'll talk We'll talk about – look, we got a huge show, right? Patriots and Ravens getting ready in week three of the NFL season. We'll talk with Daniel Wilcox, former Baltimore Ravens tight end at 920 or so. We got Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston, Patriots insider. He'll be with us here at about uh, 10.05. We've got some interactive uh, segments for you to call in on, including what would you do if you caught Aaron Judge's record-breaking home run ball? So that's that's where we're at. That's how the show is going down today. And again, from my viewpoint, we'll be back in this time slot on Monday. Now, more logistics. If you want to get in on the show, you can call in like you do every day, 244-1777. You can also get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's right. The Brady Farkas show has a text line that no one else has. It's mine and mine alone. So it's uh, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Again, Daniel Wilcox, former Baltimore Ravens tight end, will be with us here in about 10 minutes. My opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. They are Vermont's most complete locally owned home center locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber online at sticksandstuff.com. Producer Danny is here in the studio. It's my first time in the two years that Danny and I have been working at WDEV. We're actually working together, so I'm pumped to have Danny with me also. Danny, I got to tell you, before we really get into the meat and potatoes of the sports show here, I got to tell you, it's a little nerve-wracking and different being on in the morning. 
You're in a different chair, too. Is that I'm in a throwing you off? I'm in a different chair. The morning people have it good. I've got 38 screens in front of me. We don't have this in the afternoon, okay? It's all kinds. It's different technology. I'm in a different room with a different microphone. At least I'm able to have my regular headphones. But there's a lot of things going on. And your show is longer. My show is longer by a half an hour, so that's different. And I got to tell you, Monday morning I walk in, and Corm, our, our general manager, he comes up to me and goes, hey, do you want to fill in from for Vermont Viewpoint on Friday? And he's like, you get to do your show for two hours. And I'm like, hell yeah, I do. I'm like, I want to talk two hours. I want to meet new listeners. I want to get some new people into the show. I want to take phone calls. I want to hang out with Danny. I was so pumped on Monday when Corm's like, do the show in that time. So I'm like, hell yeah, Patriots, Ravens coming up week three NFL. We could expand on some stuff. I was like, Monday morning, I was giddy. I was I was like on an emotional high the entire day. And then as I got to last night and this morning, I got very, very nervous because it's a totally different world. It's like the caffeine crash. No, it's not. No, it's not that. It's just being on in the morning is a totally different world. For starters, the people downstairs in this building, they're actually listening to me. Oh, when I'm on at 5.30 at night, I love my I love my afternoon show. Our listeners are awesome. But 5.30 at night might as well be Radio Siberia. Like, I can do, I can talk about whatever I want. No one questions it. I'm the only one in the building. The people downstairs, the big speakers we have in the lobby, they're all playing me. And they're all listening. I don't know if they're ever listening to the, the higher ups, the bosses, the big wigs at DEV. They're all listening right now. I don't know it. Like, I was going to make jokes about Kaya and Charlotte, but now I can't do that because I don't know if they're going to come up here in the commercial breaks and, you know, hit me over the head with something or chastise me. It's a different world. And I got to tell you, so when I'm on at 530 at night, never once in the history of the show. Have I been asked, hey, what are you going to talk about the next day? What's on your show? Who's on your show? Who's coming on? No one has ever asked me that. I got emails last night at like 6 o'clock at night. What's your show? Who's coming on? What's the full plan? We got to know. We want to send out the inner office email as to what's coming on. I'm like, the games haven't even started yet from last night. How do I know what's coming on the show today when no games have been played? So people are people are taking a keen interest in the Brady Farkas show at 9 a.m. here. I had but I don't know what the show is. I'll know what the show is when all the games are over and it's 7 a.m. in the morning the next day. People. So people are listening to me downstairs. People are asking me what's coming on the show. And like through telepathy, I'm supposed to tell them what's going to come on. You'll know by 11 o'clock. Yeah, I'll know exactly what's coming on the show by the time we get on the air. And I mean, I also had to look more presentable. Like we're we're streaming here on our video channel on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. I, I got dressed up for this. I'm in jeans, I'm in a real shirt, and I shaved. And I'm wearing my hat forward. 5.30 at night, man, there, there are no rules. That's, that's backward hat Brady. Backward hat Brady, flip-flop Brady, basketball short Brady. Literally, when I'm in here in the afternoon, Greg Hooker and I are the only ones in here, like beyond a certain point. So it doesn't – like I get dressed up for the midday news service, and then when everybody leaves – I change. I'm like, no one cares what I look like here. I'm like, I got to be presentable. Walking in at, you know, whatever time I walked in today at eight o'clock and, and being up, I think it's different at 645 that when that alarm goes off too. I wasn't ready for that, but uh, I had to shave. I got all dressed up. 
it's a different world here. The people downstairs are listening. So, yeah, I like my afternoon show. This is fun, but it, it was more nerve-wracking than I expected it to be. <laughs> so it is the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Hey, I'll also tell you, Danny, believe it or not, I've been in radio now for eight years. This is the first time I have ever done sports talk radio in the morning, ever. In really? eight years of my career, in the weekday. I had a weekend show um, in my first job. I was on from 9 to 10 a.m. But in uh, and at my previous job in Vermont, I did a weekend show a couple of times, you know, 10 to noon or whatever. But I have never done a weekday sports talk radio show in the morning, ever, in my life. Like, my first show I worked on in Albany was, you know, three to seven at night. <clears throat> when I got to Vermont, we were four to six and then we were three to six and now I'm five 30 to seven. I've never been on the air in a weekday in the morning. So what we are witnessing here is Brady Farkas radio history doing my first ever weekday show. Matt and Bolton on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. He says, I'm listening, Brady. I have a long drive this morning. He wants to talk about the Red Sox and Aaron Judge. We will get to that in the back half of the hour. Red Sox, another gut punch last night. All right. I had some fun here for the first couple of minutes telling you about how nervous I was. We promised you sports for two hours. We're going to get sports for an hour and 46 minutes, all right? Patriots and Ravens, they're coming up on Sunday. Both teams are one and one. Pat's coming off a win against Pittsburgh. We'll get the perspective on that game from former Baltimore Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox. He joins us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas show here on this special edition Friday, filling in for Vermont viewpoint, talking sports up until 11 o'clock. Biggest thing on our sports schedule this weekend, Patriots and Ravens home opener for the Pats Sunday afternoon in Foxborough. Both teams come in at one and one for perspective on this matchup. A guy who played in these matchups, former Baltimore Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox. He is a seven-year NFL veteran. He won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers back in the early 2000s, and now he is the co-host of the Believe in Ravens podcast. Daniel, thanks for being with us here on this early morning. How are you? Man, I'm, I'm wonderful, Brady. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Well, I appreciate you being with us. Let's start with the Ravens' week two collapse against the Dolphins, blowing a three-touchdown lead there. As a former player, if you are on the Ravens' where are you mentally going into this matchup with the Patriots? Um, I definitely think there's a little bit of frustration that might have built up from the last game. I mean, you've never seen the Ravens defense ever break down in the history of Ravens football. They've always been a defensive football team. So to see them kind of break down in the fourth quarter like that, I was scratching my head like, what the heck is going on? You know, yeah, Tyreek Hill is super fast. Wallace is super fast. But we got fast guys, too. And it's just I've never seen a breakdown in communication like that that happened you know, multiple times in a, in a crunch time situation like that. Normally you go to some kind of prevent defense and you're in cover four, you keep everything in front of you. For them to get beat deep twice like that in the fourth quarter to blow a 21-point lead, you know, by giving Tyreek Hill easy bombs, is, is just, it, it blew my mind. You know, there's definitely a sense of frustration that goes along with that when you got veteran players in the secondary and veteran players on the defensive side of the ball. They never blow games on the defensive side of the ball in Baltimore. They've always been solid on that side of the ball. So to kind of see them have a breakdown, it has to be a little bit of frustration building, especially with a new D.C. Here's what's crazy is that we talked a little bit about this earlier in the week on the show. 
the Dolphins are first in the league in terms of pre-snap motion. And the Patriots are last in the league in terms of pre-snap motion. Um, so the Dolphins, I think, were able to create some confusion and indecision. The Patriots don't seem to have that in their toolbox at this point of the season. As someone who played offense, what does pre-snap motion do for an offense? And why are the Patriots not doing it? That's a, that's a great question, Brady. You know, when you got a team like Miami, you got so much speed. What you're always trying to do is find the one-on-one matchups. So the pre-snap motion, it, it tells you whether or not they're in man, whether or not they're in zone right before the snake, the play snaps. If they're in man, you know you're going to Waddle. You know you're going to Tyreek Hill, whoever has the best matchup, and you're going to get them the ball right now. Before you even snap the ball, you know the ball is going to those two guys. If they go When, when those guys go in motion, if those defensive players chase them, that means they're in man-to-man coverage on that side of the ball. Nobody can cover those two guys one-on-one, man-to-man, and run with them for three, four seconds. We all know that. So that's why the Dolphins lead the league in it. You know, the Patriots, on the other hand, they, they have always been, um, you know, take what they give. Take what they give you. Let's be smart. Let's play this thing smart. Let's not make it too hard on our quarterback. He's still young. He's still learning the offense. Um, let's not make it too hard on everybody. But let's just play very straight up, you know, clean football. And we need to know their man. We need to know their zone. We'll do things to, to, to de- decipher that. But they're going to go off what you do. They take their analytics serious in, in, in um, New England. I'm sure that Belichick and company has some plans and stuff to try to ravel this Ravens defense. He always does. Former Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Now the host of the Believe in Ravens podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. The Ravens are really good with the tight ends. And Mark Andrews is the favorite target of Lamar Jackson. What can the Patriots do defensively to limit that connection and force Lamar into making other decisions? There's multiple things you can do on multiple levels, Brady. You you definitely want to try to disrupt Lamar by getting people in his face and, and contesting every throw that he has to throw. You want to make him throw those sidearm, those awkward throws he has to throw, flipping the ball. You want to keep him under distress on that first level. That's with the D-line. And then and then you change those fronts quite a bit so he has to take, you know, extreme releases to get off the ball. And you put somebody on him to bump him before he releases every time to slow him down so he don't get into his route, route right away. And then you put somebody over him to cover him. I think you put a spy on him, you ask me, and let somebody run with him. One of your best defenders run with him all game long just to make sure that every catch that he makes is also a contested um, catch. And then you play different versions of zones and different versions of man to try to, you know, conflict his, 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 his route running ability. You know, Mark Andrews is really sharp. He's really He understands the geometry of the game, the angles, the, to how to push you, how to make you sit still, and how to move you when he needs to move you. And um, he's very he's very sharp. He's very smart. So you got to kind of disguise things to make him think you're doing one thing and then do something else. And then that way, Lamar, it throws off Lamar's timing as far as him being able to release the ball. Flashing people in front of Mark Andrews, you know, would definitely make him double pump that ball. If he have to pump it once or twice, then you put pressure on him and you get sacks. And I think the Patriots and Ravens last played in 2020 when Cam Newton was the quarterback. It was a driving rainstorm. It was Sunday night football, and the Patriots ended up winning that game. And the book then at that time was make Lamar beat you as a passer. I think we're at the point where Lamar can beat you as a passer now when he can go deep down the field and he's got some young wideouts with Hollywood Brown gone that he's enjoying a connection with. What is the, the best overall defensive philosophy against the Ravens right now? 
Um, I think the best overall is is the the, the put nine in the box to make them not want to run the ball. You put eight, nine guys in the box, you're supposed to throw the ball all the time just by the, the geometry or the dynamics or the mathematics of the game, right? You put nine guys in the box, you're telling me that you're trying to stop the run. I need to throw the ball because now that me and my guys are man on man with your three guys back there. So if they put eight, nine in the box, that's, that usually forces the Ravens to have to throw. If you force them to have to throw, then Lamar Jackson will have to beat you with his arm. You know, those nine guys have to keep him in the pocket and not allow him to get out the pocket and scoot and run all down the field and get 100-plus yards rushing on you because he could beat you with his legs all by himself and get 100 yards. You know, so you have to contain him. The Ravens don't have their key running backs right now. Both of those guys are beat up, banged up, and out still from last season. And I, I think it's a great opportunity to take advantage of them by stopping the run and forcing him to have to throw the ball. And, yes, he can throw the ball. I think every quarterback in this league got, got, got those intangibles where they can throw the ball all over the field and pick you apart if you force them to, you know, but he has, you have to contest those receivers to put them in, in very stressful situations. So those throws have to be perfect. If he can't, nobody can make perfect throws every single time. Well, maybe the goat, Tom <laughs> Brady, but nobody else could make perfect throws every single time to those receivers to put the ball where only the receivers can get it. You know, you were playing in the league when the Patriots were in kind of the first iteration of their dynasty before Brady was the GOAT. Now, you were with Baltimore in the 2007 season when the Pats played them and, uh, you know, and the offense was going off. What was your perception of Brady and the Patriots when you were playing? What was the feeling about the Pats? I hated Brady. I hated Brady with <laughs> freaking passion. He was the GOAT then. He was the GOAT the first 10 years of his career, and he was the GOAT the second 10 years. If you just separate both 10 years, he's the GOAT in both 10. <laughs> You know, so it's like at that point, you knew Brady was different. You knew he was special. And you knew when you was going in to play him, you were like, oh, God, we got to go play freaking Patriots with Brady. And you knew the game was never over, man. And, and when you got a guy that good from a receiver, from a receiving tight end standpoint and a wide receiver, when you got a, a quarterback that if you get open, he going to find you. That's no greater feeling than that. You go, you run every single route 100 miles per hour. You give him maximum effort because you know that that ball could come to you at any given moment. Even any given moment, even if you're the decoy receiver, if you don't run with the decoy, Brady will hit him. You know, so it's mm -hmm. like you he 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 puts you in a different mindset, and you go into every single game knowing that you have an opportunity to win. You know these guys are gonna play hard and they're gonna fight you to the end, man. And and Brady has always been that quarterback. He's to me from day one, he stepped on the field, he gave guys hope. And he gave he made guys want to go out there and give their maximum effort. Do you think the Patriots have any of that aura still, or did it all go away with Brady? Like does Belichick have any of it, or are the Patriots just not viewed that way anymore? Um, they're not viewed that way anymore. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, Belichick definitely has something to do with the mystique. I mean, let's not let's let's, let's face it. But coaches coach, players play. At the end of the day, the guys on the field are the guys that you're more afraid of. You're not afraid of OCs, DCs, head coaches. You know, so as a player, you're going in there like I can't wait to pick off Tom Brady. I can't wait to get a hit on Tom Brady. You know, I, I don't want no parts of Ray Lewis. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's those are the guys you're afraid of. You're not afraid of coordinators. Coordinators. Are, most of the time, it never hit nobody, you know. <laughs> so at the end of the day, man, like New England was who they were because they had a phenomenal defense and then they had a great quarterback. You know, I thought about asking you about a bunch of your former teammates. I thought about Ray Lewis, I thought about Ed Reed. I thought about asking all about those guys. The one guy I want to ask about was what was it like to play with Dion? Dion was at the end of his career in Baltimore. You know, he wasn't Cowboys Dion. He wasn't 49ers or Falcons Dion. But what was Coach Prime like at the end of his career? What was it like to be around him? 
He was still Dion, man. I'm telling you, I, I was that kid that grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, watching him play for the Falcons. That's right. And all my friends was like, man, I'm Dion, I'm Dion. No, I'm Dion. You know, <laughs> every time you go out to play football, everybody said, I'm Dion, I'm Dion. Like, so he was that he was that Randy Moss of my generation, I guess, where everybody say Moss, you know, everybody wanted to be prime, man. Everybody high-stepping with their hand behind their yeah. head, you know, long leg tries. But when he got to Baltimore, man, like his locker was literally two lockers down from me. And um, I just thought it was one of the most amazing things, man. You know, I've I only been in all twice my entire NFL career. Um, it was when I got to Baltimore. Well, actually three times. All three times. Tampa, Baltimore, and New York. Everywhere I went, it was like, bro, I can't believe I'm in New York Jets locker room. Vinny Testaverde, Santana Moss got drafted with me. Mo Lewis, Sam Coward, you know, all those guys. Marvin Jones, you know. Um, and then I leave there. I go to Tampa with Derrick Brooks and Simeon Rice and all those guys, you know. And then Warren Sapp and Keyshawn. And then you go to Baltimore. And now you're in there with Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Suggs, and all those guys. And then they signed Dion. It's like. I walk in there, I introduce myself like, hey, hey, Prime, how you doing, man? I'm Wilcox. I'm from the A. They call me Shawty. <laughs> <laughs> and he called me Shawty from that moment on, Brady. And, and he was just such a phenomenal teammate, man. Like, you can hear all this crazy stuff about Dion, about who he is, who he is, and who he ain't. But one thing he was, man, he was a phenomenal teammate. Um, whatever he needed. You know, I, I would be his chauffeur if he needed a chauffeur. <laughs> if he wanted somebody to carry his bag, I would carry his bag. I don't care. I was four or five years in the league when Prime came to Baltimore. But, I mean, I I always gave respect to the veteran guys that paved the way for all of us to be there. And um, I was, I mean, I was a fan of Dion's. I've always been a fan of Dion's. And I can't say that about a lot of people at all because I've never idolized people like that. And I didn't treat him any different than I would treat anyone else. You know, one thing Steve Bashotti used to always say was you treat the janitor just the same way you treat the owner. Mm -hmm. You know, so I didn't treat Dion any different from how I would treat anyone else. And we became really, really, really freaking close for about three or four years, man. And he was like my best friend, you know, when I was in Baltimore for the two years he was there. Did you wear a do-rag growing up? I did. I did. I admit it. I wore a Dion do-rag. Absolutely. I wore a do I, Not only did I wear a do-rag, Brady, I had one in every color. Even even camouflage do rags like I had a I had them all man red pink purple blue orange you name them I had them all because of prime man and um I mean he he made bandanas and do rags and all that stuff really really you know kind of cool in our eyes you know as an athlete I think I think Baltimore Dion also made the uh, headband around your neck popular yeah he did. <laughs> so, Daniel Wilcox, former Ravens tight end, believe in Ravens podcast, Patriots, Ravens, Pat's home opener, both teams one and one coming up on Sunday. Daniel, man, we appreciate it. We'd love to do it again down the road. Absolutely, Brady. Thanks for having me on, man. Great job, buddy. I appreciate that. Daniel Wilcox, former Ravens tight end. Look, I disagree. He's great insight. Great insight. I love getting former players on here in the stories. He said he hated Brady and the Patriots when he was playing. I, uh, I disagree with his philosophy on how to defend the Ravens. And I'll tell you what I'm looking for out of this matchup from the Patriots here in the next segment after CBS news. But Danny, you're too young to appreciate Deion Sanders. You're, you're too oh, young. Totally. To, you're too young to have appreciated Dion in his prime. Cause Dion in his prime was some kind of special. You're talking about glory days in the nineties, Dion Griffey and Jordan all playing at the same time, all at the top of their games. It was incredible theater to watch sports in the 90s, and there were superstars then. In a way, the superstars are different now. Uh, Dion, all-time best line. Look good, feel good, feel good, play good, play good, pay good. And that's what you need to know about that. Here's CBS News.
it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEV-Radio.com. Welcome back in. Special edition Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV going up until 11 o'clock. Don't worry, Vermont Viewpoint back on Monday. Put the pitchforks away, people. Vermont Viewpoint will be back on Monday. This is just a special one-off. Brady Farkas Show is usually weeknights at 5.30. We're still going to be on tonight at 5.30. And you can always subscribe to our podcast, which has all of our full shows and all of our interviews uh, exclusively on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. Yeah, Danny, I was mentioned before we went to break there. That Deion Sanders line is absolutely iconic. Have you ever heard that before? No. So Deion was, picture Cam Newton. Right. Like Cam Newton dressed flamboyantly and was um, not so much loud. Dion was loud. Right. Dion was loud. But Cam had a fashion sense. So Dion had the fashion sense. Dion was also loud. And people asked someone asked Dion basically, like, why do you dress like this? Why do you care how you dress and blah, 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 blah. He always wore big gold chains and all that. And Dion said, it's easy. If you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good. And if you pay good, they pay. Or if you play good, they pay good. And so that's what uh, that, that was an all timer by Dion. And really, Dion was one of the most special athletes of our time. I don't know if you know this either. I forget the year. It might have been like 92 or something like that. Dion played in two professional games. Yes. At the same day. I saw that 30 for 30. Yes. That's so how old I am. Dion Sanders played. So he played pro baseball and pro football at the same time in the same seasons. He played in two games in the same day. So he played for the Atlanta Falcons by day down in Miami, then flew to Pittsburgh to play in a playoff game for the Atlanta Braves. Now, Bobby Cox benched him and didn't play him in that game, but he got there like he he was on two rosters in the same day. Just Dion was incredible. And the further removed I get from having watched Dion, the more the legend grows in my mind. Now he's the football coach at Jackson State University, and he's Coach Prime over there. But uh, Dion was uh, an incredible player. Uh, okay, 802-585-3026 on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Again, you can get in there, 802-585-3026. You can also call in at 244-1777. I'm told that if I'm in the Vermont Viewpoint time slot, it is ritual that I have to take a call from Fred and Newberry. Fred, I want to get to the Patriots here momentarily. You've got something a little off topic, so we'll get to it quickly here before I get into the Pats. Well, thanks for being with us. What do we got? Oh, my turn. Yes. <laughs> all right, here it is. Of all, us, of all the ball sports, the professional ball sports, you know how many they are, I, I, I don't have my calculator in front of me. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Okay. So, anyways, uh, baseball is the most complicated one of all, and it takes more skill to play baseball than any other sport. I don't care what anybody says. And then a baseball player will tell you that. And then a basketball player, if he's any good, he'll tell you that baseball is the most difficult sport to play and the most complicated sport to play. But, anyways, everybody's got a, everybody's got a, uh, a sports fantasy. And my sports fantasy is this. I love it. It's a World Series game. My team is uh, up at bat, and the score is 3-1, uh, 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 and we're losing by one point. And the uh, opposing team's at bat, and uh, bases are loaded, and there's no outs. And... Uh, I 
throw the first pitch, and the first pitch is a foul ball, and the second baseman catches it. All right. How can it be a foul ball and the second baseman catches yeah, it? That, that, yeah, that doesn't make any sense, Fred. So we appreciate it. Fred's talking to us about sports fantasies. And uh, I, I don't know if he's talking about, like, dreams or things he wants to see in sports or things he wants to do in sports. i just tell you this. I've been to a World Series game. It was incredible. My team wasn't playing, but I went to 05. White Sox Astros game, one of the World Series in Chicago. My dad's a White Sox fan. Coupled it with my 16th birthday, went to that game. Roger Clemens pitched for Houston. The Astros or the uh, White Sox actually won that game. Then went on to win the series. Also, I think four to one. But so I've been to a World Series game. I've been to an NCAA tournament game. Um, so I've done a lot of cool things when it comes to sports. I've covered four Super Bowls. I've never been to the Super Bowl game. So that if I had a sports fantasy, that is the thing that I want to do is uh, go to go to the Super Bowl. That would be my sports fantasy. I had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. That's a story for another day. I didn't actually get there. I've covered four of them, never actually been to the game. So that's the next thing on my bucket list. All right, Danny, as we transition into the Patriots and Ravens, I got to tell you, I'm starting to get oddly confident about the Patriots in this game. Sunday at one Patriots home opener. I'm starting to get oddly confident. And if you had asked me three days ago, three weeks ago or three months ago, I'd have told you the Patriots are going to get blown out by Baltimore. Last night I had this epiphany that I think the Patriots can win this game. Now I'll put the disclaimer on it. Kyle Duggar and Jacoby Myers are banged up. Neither one of them's practiced in the last two days. If Myers and Duggar don't play, I don't think the Patriots can win. I think they're too critical to what the Patriots do. So that's the disclaimer. But if those guys play, I'm, I, I just have this tingly sensation that the Patriots can win this game. Baltimore is better on paper. Baltimore is more explosive. The, the Ravens should win this game. But I feel like on Sunday, we could see a Bill Belichick coaching special. I think we could see a Bill Belichick coaching special. And if we see that, I think the Patriots not only have a chance, I think they have a very realistic shot. Three days ago, I never would have said this. But last night, I had the epiphany. Now, Danny, the Ravens are an incredible running team. That is what their offense is built on. Lamar Jackson's a runner. He had 119 yards rushing from the quarterback position last week against Miami. Lamar Jackson's a great runner. They've got all kinds of running backs. They can go three tight ends. Like They, they will bully you running the football. And Daniel even said, if you want to stop the page, if you want to stop Baltimore, try to stop the run. That's what you should do. I tell you what, I completely disagree. I completely disagree. I want the Patriots to bring back the Bill Belichick special from the 90s. Now, Danny, you're too young to have remembered this also. But back in the 90s, Bill Belichick was a defensive coordinator for the New York Giants. They played the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl, the one where Scott Norwood missed the kick wide right, and everybody talks about it. And the Giants won the Super Bowl, 91 or so. So the Bills had a high-powered offense, right? Jim Kelly was the quarterback. Thurman Thomas was the running back. Bill Belichick said, I'm going to let you run the football. I'm going to let you run it. I'm going to drop everybody in coverage. I'm going to let you run. And my goal is that you are going to run the ball. You're going to run it effectively. But you're going to take a lot of time off the clock. You're going to limit your number of possessions. And eventually, maybe we can force a turnover or... We can limit you to a field goal. That's what I want the Patriots to do on Sunday. Do you think that's what the Dolphins did last week? 
letting Lamar run for 84-yard touchdown. I mean, Lamar Jackson was hitting Bateman on 75-yard passes, yes. so no. I, what I th- the Ravens have a quick strike offense in the passing game. Three years ago, it used to be, hey, make Lamar Jackson beat you with his arm. Lamar Jackson can now beat you with his arm. If the Patriots just play this straight up, or if they do what Daniel Wilcox said and try to stop the run and make Lamar Jackson pass, he's going to shred them. Yeah. If they leave one-on-one coverage all over the field, Lamar Jackson is going to shred them. And the Patriots are not built to win a track beat. If the if the Ravens get up, you know, and score 21 points in the first quarter, the Patriots are cooked. They cannot come back from that. Their offense is not built that way. So I am saying go the opposite way. Put, drop everybody into coverage. Make it hard for Lamar Jackson to pass. Let them run the football. Let them run the football. Let them be effective at it. But make them meticulously go down the field. 14 plays, 85 yards. 12 plays, 72 yards. Make them go all the way down the field meticulously. Make them do it in seven minutes, in nine minutes. Make them take huge chunks of time off the clock. Limit their possessions. And if you – look, you're going to give up yards. You're going to give up yards. But eventually, you have to hope. Ravens are going to false start. They're going to get a holding call, and they're going to get pushed into a situation where they have to kick a field goal, where you're going to tighten up in the red zone, and they have to kick a field goal, and you've limited them to three points instead of a quick strike seven. Or you're going to get down there inside the 10-yard line, Baltimore's, and you're going to punch the ball out on the goal line, and it's going to be a fumble, and you've recovered it. And now they've taken up nine minutes of time, and they've gotten no points out of it. That, to me, is the strategy I would employ if I were the Patriots. And I think that, that on Sunday, we can see a Bill Belichick coaching special. And that, I think, would be the epitome of it if he brought back that 90s game plan. And we're going to have Phil Perry from NBC Sports Boston on at 10.05. And I'm going to ask him this question, if he thinks I'm a genius or if he thinks I'm a moron. But that is what I want to see the Patriots do. The Patriots do not win this game 38-35. That's just not going to happen. Miami beat them last week 38-35. Miami has explosive athletes on offense. Patriots don't have that. No. So... The Pats cannot win a track meet. The Pats can win a 12-9 game. The Pats can win a 19-16 game. The Pats can win a game 17-14. And the way to limit the possessions and limit the scoring is to do exactly what I'm telling you. You are advocating for boring football. That's the only way the Patriots can beat Baltimore. That is the only way. They, They do not have a chance to just line up Play it straight. You go down the field. We go down the field. They will not keep up. They have to out-coach Baltimore. They have to out-strategize them. And I think that they actually can. Again, it's all on the qualifier that Duggar and Myers play. Duggar is hugely important to what they do on defense, stopping the run. Again, I'm not advocating for them to, to sell out for the run, but you also can't allow them to get 30 yards a pop. Six yards a pop will do just fine. So Duggar is hugely important. He can spy Lamar Jackson and Myers is what is what they do on offense. He's huge on offense for them. The only caveat in all of this for me is if you're going to allow the other team to go seven minutes down the field, nine minutes down the field, you're not going to get the ball out either. You have to, you have to make your possessions count also. That's the thing that makes me nervous about this is that the Patriots, they're only going to get the ball for you know, three, four times a half. Can they make it count? I don't know if they can, but I think it's their only shot.
802-585-3026. If the Patriots are going to win this game, I am calling them for, to bring back the famed Bill Belichick Super Bowl uh, strategy from back in the day against the Buffalo Bills. Let Baltimore run. Try to tighten up in the red zone. Try to limit them to field goals. Try to punch a ball out and force turnovers. It's the only way they win. You're right. You're right. Boring is the right word for it. But boring is what the Patriots need to be in order to win this game. They can beat Pittsburgh straight up because Pittsburgh's not any good. Mitch Trubisky's not any good. So they could beat Pittsburgh last week doing what they did. This week, they got to be creative. And to me, this is the creative way to do it. We'll ask Phil Perry about it at 10.05. Uh, we'll step aside briefly. When we come back, we'll get your input. Aaron Judge, I think we all agree, is going to hit home run number 61 this weekend against the Red Sox. If you were the fan that caught the ball, it's worth $250,000, I tell you. What would you do with it? We'll take your input next on the Brady Farkas Show, special edition here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, special edition here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. What just another gut punch last night for the Red Sox. Red Sox lost to the Yankees in extra innings. This has been a season full of gut punches, and last night was just another one. I am so desensitized to it, though, from this year. It doesn't even matter. Right. Like the Red Sox were down three zip. They came back. Reese McGuire pinch hit home run. They're up four three. Then they end up losing an extra innings five four. And not only did they lose Danny and you're a Yankee fan. So get that smirk off your face. But like not only did they lose, they allowed the biggest tool bag in the American League, Josh Donaldson, to be the guy that beat them. But again, I'm so desensitized to it. I don't even care. Red Sox lost. We'll have the coverage for you tonight beginning at uh, at 610 as the Sox go for try to win game two here. The real story of the game is not that the Red Sox lost. I've written that story many times this year's this year. The real story was Aaron Judge as Aaron Judge is going to be the story all weekend. Aaron Judge is is stuck on 60 home runs right now. 61 is the all time American League record by former Yankee legend Roger Maris. 62 would be the would be the official record. So 61 would tie. 62 would be it. We thought that Judge hit number 61 last night in the ninth inning, Danny. Here it is. Swinging a high drive to center field. Kike going back, back to the warning track as the room, it appears, and makes the catch a foot in front of the fence. Just a few feet away from number 61. Wow, hit about 406 feet. 408 out there. Two men are out. Boy, Sprout thought it was over. I thought it was number 61. The game was over. Yeah, that would have been a walk-off home run for the Yankees. I thought it was gone. Joe thought it was gone. The Fox guys on TV thought it was gone. And everybody in the damn building thought it was gone. So they thought they saw a Yankee win then, and they thought they saw Judge tie the record. My question is for the people. 802-585-3026 on the text line or 244-1777. If you catch one of the next two home run balls from Aaron Judge, what would you do with it? And there's a real dilemma here for people because I've been reading valuations from all over the place as to what these balls are worth. I Earlier, I just before the break, I said that the 61 ball could be worth $250,000. Bob Nightingale of USA Today said could be worth a minimum of $500,000. 
when he hits number 62, which he very well may do this weekend and sets the American League record, I saw an a, a, a sports memorabilia expert say could be worth a million and a half dollars, maybe two and a half million dollars. So if you catch this baseball, what are you doing with it? 802-585-3026. Kaya has commandeered the studio here on the special edition of the Brady Farkas Show. You were right earlier saying that you have a whole new audience downstairs. Charlotte and I are listening. I told you the big wigs are listening I, for the first I, time ever. I am intrigued, and you know that I, I do not care about sports that much, but I'm interested. We'll forgive that. Okay? I'm listening to a new show, so I'm intrigued <laughs> with this. My question is, what... Uh, how do they determine that that ball is going to be worth a, a two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or five thousand or five hundred? Certainly, that? certainly anything is worth what you'll pay for it, right? Somebody could pay whatever they want for it. Uh, these things are going by valuations of what previous balls have gone for. Oh, okay. Now, again, so few people have ever done this. Like, if he hits this, it will be the record. So, okay. you know, this is a market that will be one of one. But you're going based on market conditions. The memorabilia market is hot right now. He plays for the Yankees. That always is going to boost something up because it's a historic franchise okay. with the biggest fan base. So, therefore, has, in theory, the widest swath of people interested in the ball. And it's just people who are in this business that work at auction houses, that deal in memorabilia. You know, they have seen what record-breaking basketballs, footballs, baseballs go before, how iconic is the player, okay. is the guy eventually going to end up in the Hall of Fame. All this stuff is going to matter to it. So when the spectator catches a ball, there's more to it than just catching the ball and putting it on your mantle at home? Well, there's probably fighting off the other uh, 50,000 people in the stadium that are attacking you to get the ball because right. they also want the monetary, uh, you know, the monetary payout. So the quest, I mean, so again, it becomes a dilemma of what you want to do with it, right? Some people will keep it and then try to sell it. Mm. Other people will give it back to Aaron Judge because it's his accomplishment and he should own it. They'll give it to him and then ask for something else in return of value. Wow. You know, so if you are this person that catches these record breaking home ball home run balls, what are you doing with it? 802-585-3026. I came up with my plan. Now, this was before I saw potentially two and a half million, but I'm still sticking to my plan. If I catch this baseball, I'm giving it to Aaron Judge. Okay. okay. I'm going to give it to Aaron Judge, but I am asking for things in return. Hmm. Okay. He can have the ball. He's not going to sell it, but he can have the ball. But I'm getting things in return as far as I'm concerned. Number one, I want the obvious. I want a picture with Judge. I want an audit. I want autographs, etc. I want one piece of equipment signed that he used while while hitting this home run because that's going to have some value down the road. So you would like the bat or something like The bat's probably too valuable. He that's probably going to the Hall of Fame. Okay. His batting gloves, his cleat, a sock, something. So I, I want some piece of memorabilia from him hitting the home run and I want it inscribed, you know, Aaron Judge number 61 homer. So that that will carry value. So that's what I want from Judge. Then I'm going to the damn Yankees, and they're the ones who are really going to pay up to me. I want, for life, Yankee season tickets. There you go. For life, I want Yankee season tickets. And don't, that alone, look, Yankee season ticket packages are anywhere between $2,000 and $18,000 a year. Okay, They're not even in the same stratosphere as these baseballs are. So the Yankees can afford that. 
I want season tickets and I want free parking for that monstrosity of a city as well. So I want free parking around the stadium. So free parking. I want I want free tickets for life. And I want good seats. I don't want to be in the nosebleeds with, you know, with Joe from Yonkers, who's eight millers deep. I don't want that. Okay. I want good seats. I want to be behind home plate. I want to be close enough to, you know, touch the God bless America singer there in the seventh inning. So I want good season tickets and I'm going to go to Yankee Stadium whenever I want for life. Do you want to call to the bullpen too? Free parking. Hold on. And the season tickets. I'll go to the games, but I also want them the right to sell my tickets on a game-by-game basis. So now I can start making some side money out of this. Again, it still pales in comparison to $2.5 million that I could get for this baseball. And the last thing I want, you talk about calling the bullpen. I don't want that. I want to take batting practice on the field once a year. Every year I want to take batting practice on the field. I don't know how old the person who catches this ball will be, but this, this could help them in any part of their life. You're 19 years old. You go to college. You want to impress the girl of your dreams. Hey, babe, we're going to go take batting practice at Yankee Stadium. Okay, sold. Where's the ring? That would work for me. Oh, I'm a, I'm a 40-year-old dad. My kid is about to be a teenager who hates my guts. Hey, kid, you can't stand me. How about we go to Yankee Stadium and hit on the field today? Okay, Dad, I kind of like you again. These are the things that I want. I was thinking I would just ask for the little glass case to put the ball in on my mantle. <laughs> you're too nice. Thank you. So you're keeping the ball. Uh, that's That was my thought. And I you're keeping it and selling it for the $2.5 I wasn't even thinking about selling it. I would just keep it. And you're going to let the value matriculate over time to more to greater uh, and greater? Now that I've talked to you, I have to change my thinking on this. <laughs> well, 802-585-3026. Danny, what would you want? What would you do? I think I'm similar to where you're standing right now because if you're the nice person, they probably want to reward you for that by giving it uh, back. Kai, stay in here for one second. By the way, you have to play this audio cut. I know we're a little short on time. How much time do I have? we got about two minutes. Okay. You have to listen to this. Okay. So we talk about these things that are worth great value. Derek Jeter hit his 3,000th hit a bunch of years ago, and that was a home run. And a 19-year-old college kid caught that ball. Buster Olney of ESPN told me what happened to this kid. When I think it was Derek Jeter when he got his 3,000th hit, it was, it was caught by a college kid, and the kid didn't really ask for anything. He just wanted to shake Derek's hand, and he wanted to give him the ball. And if I remember correctly, the Internal Revenue Service came after him the next day. Hmm. Uh, at least there was a conversation about it. I never called the IRS to confirm that, but I remember these recurring stories in the New York Post day after day after day because the IRS's perspective was, wait, you, you owned an asset. You controlled an asset that was worth a lot of money. You owe us money based on the taxes. <laughs> <laughs> and so if, in fact, that's the case, uh, if I caught the baseball, I'd be asking that question. Like if I give Aaron Judge this home run ball – does that mean I'm going to have to pony up $60,000 to the IRS? That's an amazing story. And there is a follow-up to that in the New York Times that I have yet to read talking to the kid about what happened. I want to know if the IRS for forgave it because he barely owned the ball. He gave it away. I want to know if somebody paid the taxes on his behalf. I got to find out the rest of what happened to this kid. There's taxes involved in this as well. 
apparently for i'm not going to a baseball game now okay that just settled it thank you i still want my season tickets so that's what i want i want lifetime season tickets i want to be sitting on the dugout in a lawn chair if i damn well please so it's the brady farkas show here on wdev am and fm and wdev radio.com Patriots readying for the Baltimore Ravens Sunday in Foxborough. Next hour, we'll get to what we want to see versus what we need to see from the Pats. And right off the top, we'll talk with our guy, Phil Perry, our Pats insider over at NBC Sports Boston. Phil is the best. Does he like my idea of letting the Patriots or letting the Ravens run wild a la Bill Belichick game plans of the 1990s? Phil Perry with us next after CBS News here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Show now has an interactive text line, so reach out now at 802-585-3026. It's another football Friday and another look at your New England Patriots. And I will put it at the feet of Mac Jones. I mean, you get you get the credit when everything's going well. First third down of the game, first drive of the game, you throw it right to the other team. Seven points going the other way. With all the info from Patriots Place, it's Pat's insider, Phil Perry. No, it's not that I think less of him. I think the fact that I am high on him leads to the honest criticism of him. I know he's better than the way he's played. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. They put us in mornings for one day only, taking the place of Vermont Viewpoint today. Vermont Viewpoint will be back at its normal time slot on Monday, and we'll go back to our afternoons. But we're getting ready for Patriots and Ravens right now. And joining us on the phone line now is Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston, our Patriots insider. Phil, did you like your intro we did up for you here on our special morning edition? Wow, I love that. I'm honored. Let me tell you, I just I have no idea who I was talking about there, but it sounded great. Thank you very much for that. Well, appreciate you being with us. Appreciate you altering your schedule to uh, come on in the morning with us. We'll get to the Patriots in a second, but let's wrap up a discussion we were just having. If you caught Aaron Judge's 61st or 62nd home run ball, what would you do with it? Wow, this is a great question because I want to say that I would have done what the, the college kids who caught his recent home run ball did, which is just give it back to him. And that's where I think I would lean. And, and that's what I think I would do. But when you have that in your hand, Brady, and you know what some of these balls have gone for in the past, uh, I don't think I'd be honest with myself. If I said, I knew for a fact I would go that route and not try to to get something out of it because man, some of the dollar figures are, are wild on some of these things. 500 grand they're projecting for 61 and one and a half billion for 62 is Ooh. the most recent projection. What I said I wanted was uh, one piece of signed memorabilia from what judge was wearing while he hit the homer, like a signed batting glove. And then from the Yankees, I want season tickets for life. I think that's fair. Why wouldn't they give that to you? They could make that happen. Yeah. Right? Season tickets for life. What's the value on that? It can't be a half a million dollars. No, it's it's between two and eighteen grand a year. No, yeah, they got to make that happen for you. So I like that. See, this is you're you're a man who thinks ahead. <laughs> I would I would just be the idiot who sits there and falls in my lap and I say, "Ooh, what do I do now?" You're the you'd be the guy trying to not get beat up by uh, Joe from Queens who also wants the ball. Exactly. (laughs) Turtle. Turtle immediately. (laughs) Let's move to the Patriots here, getting ready for the Ravens home opener in Foxborough on Sunday afternoon. Update me on Kyle Duggar and Jacoby Myers' health right now, because I think this is critical. It is. I I would say 
on both sides of the ball, obviously. Uh, Jacoby Myers is probably, if you're looking at it, big picture, the more important player to the team's overall success because of the security blanket that he is for Mac Jones. But he's missed the last two days of practice, we know. But we have seen him in the walk room, and we've seen him walking around, and he was able to play and play quite a bit on Sunday against the Steelers. He's been dealing with this knee issue for a while, really dating back to the preseason. It happened in Vegas. And then I think he actually aggravated it on the first or second play of the game in Miami. And you could see it on his face and in his reaction. It was almost like, really, did this have to happen this early? Uh, And so now they're in sort of a management phase with it. And so uh, that's why, actually, the fact that it is sort of a, a manageable, in my opinion, injury, um, that's why I wouldn't completely rule him out for Sunday just yet, uh, because I think they are just trying to take an approach with him that they want to dial him back to, to help him be as ready as he can be on Sunday when the game matters. So not a great sign. Clearly, when you miss the first two days of practice, the odds are, you're, you know, generally speaking, you're not going to play, at least here in New England. Uh, but I wouldn't completely rule him out, and I wouldn't completely rule out Duggar either, Brady. I think this is going to be a fascinating case. In terms of how the Patriots handle their injuries, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but Bill Belichick handled his training camp differently this year to better manage player health. Hmm. There was very little, if any, full contact drill work this summer. There was very little hill work when it came to the conditioning. And I think both of those things are with player health and long-term over the long marathon that is the NFL season uh, benefits of the players in mind. And so, you know, maybe, you know, in years past, if you missed Wednesday and Thursday, like I said, odds are you weren't playing. But maybe that's changed now because they are so conscious of making sure that these guys are getting all the recovery that they need to be able to play on Sunday. I talked to Kyle Duggar earlier this week, and he was optimistic that he'd be able to play on Sunday. Now, things could have changed. Uh, This was two days ago now, so we'll have to see how it continues to progress if he practices today. Uh, but I wouldn't rule either of these guys out. And both are obviously important. Duggar, I think, critical because of his speed. And just against Lamar Jackson, you want as many fast guys out there to try to rein that guy in. Patriots insider Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, three months ago, three weeks ago, three days ago, I would have told you that the Ravens are going to blow the Patriots out of the water. But... Last night, I had a premonition, and I'm starting to feel oddly oddly optimistic about this game on Sunday. And I'm wondering if we're going to see a Bill Belichick coaching masterpiece in this game. And here's what I'm calling for, Phil. I am wondering if it's best for the Patriots to bring back the Bill Belichick Giants versus Thurman Thomas and Jim Kelly game plan. Let the Ravens run and force them to choose chew up large portions of the clock, force them to go 12 plays and 85 yards, and then try to crank down, hold them to a field goal, or force a turnover. I no longer think just letting Lamar Jackson throw is the way to beat this team. Am I a genius or a moron? Uh, you're you're um, more the former than the latter. Okay, I would say you're closer to genius here because he has been so good from the pocket this year. I mean, and that you're right. That used to be the plan. Keep him hemmed in. Keep him in the well so to speak, and let him try to beat you with his arm, and eventually he'll make a mistake. This year, he has been phenomenal from clean pockets, and he he has been somebody who has been pushing the ball down the field more than anyone else in football, which is not all that unusual for Lamar Jackson. We know he has a great arm, 
and he has always had speed on the field to try to complement what he does with his legs. They want to try to run a lot of deep routes to just vertically stretch the defense and provide a lot of space for Lamar Jackson. If he sees an opening underneath and he sees corners and safeties 40 yards down the field to run with the go routes that the Ravens like to run, then he's going to take it and he's going to kill you with explosive play after explosive play. But I think if you can, if you can afford to play two high safeties this week, don't be afraid to do it. I think there is some fear generally against Lamar that if you do that, you provide him too much of that vertical space that I just mentioned. But the, the opposite is, okay, go single high safety and then dare one of the best deep throwers in football this year. And a guy who has improved every year as a passer and Lamar Jackson to throw it over your heads if you're just going to play a single high safety and dare him to beat you when you play one-on-one on the outside and put your corners on an island. So this might be, this is not something that the Patriots generally do. They usually like to play one single high safety and they like to have bodies in the box to stop the run. But I'm not sure you want to do that. I'm with you. I would let them run because we know Lamar, of course, he's, he's a threat every time he touches the ball and he's a threat as a runner now as much as ever the rest of the team though brady not so much yeah if you look at it it's only two games 29 carries for ravens running backs this year 16 of those have gone for one yard or less they can't run it unless it's lamar running the ball so if you can coach them into handing it off i would say go for it all right i'm glad i'm good i'm glad to hear that i'm glad most people thought i was a moron so i'm glad that uh, you are uh, on my side there no, hey you're on to something there um we're going to do this in the next segment, wants versus needs. I'll ask you, what is something you want to see from the Patriots on Sunday? And what is something you need to see? So I want to see the Patriots continue to give Mac Jones more say in this offense. It was staggering to me just how much things had changed from week one to week two. And I know, yes, they're a game plan team. And I know those two defenses between Miami and Pittsburgh differ in a variety of different ways. But... They went almost exclusively shotgun. They went almost exclusively 11 personnel, three receivers, one back, one tight end. They started working in RPOs, which is something we have very, very rarely seen from this Patriots offense, even with Mac Jones, who was sort of an RPO wizard back in college behind center. And we started see, we started seeing the Patriots change their running game. They, they went back to what they have done for years, using a power running game, pulling guards, Cole Strange, Michael Wenu, getting those guys on the move, really uh, displacing linebackers at the second level to be able to create running room for these great downhill runners that you have in Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. So all that wide zone stuff that we talked about all offseason that uh, the Patriots really tried to hammer this offseason, we saw very little of that. Now, they did break it out when they needed it at the very end of the game to help salt away the clock against the Steelers, but... This looked like a power running team. It looked like a shotgun team. It looked like a one tight end set team. And that was, it was basically the opposite end of the spectrum on every single one of those marks in week one. So I think they did that to help make Mac Jones comfortable. So that's what I want to see them do, continue to do that for Mac Jones. And then defensively, what you need to do or the game is lost is what we just talked about. You can't get beat over the top. They have very fast receivers, and I've spoken to Patriots defenders in there. They know what the Ravens are going to try to do to them this week. They understand 
that they run those vertical routes to try to wear you down. Yes, all that that I mentioned earlier about stretching the defense vertically and allowing Lamar Jackson running room, that's a factor. But really, at the basis of it all, is they want to tire you out. They want to tire your corners. They want to tire your safeties, tire your linebackers, because they know they have speed and they have the most electric quarterback that the NFL has seen, uh, maybe since Michael Vick. And so the Patriots are going to have to lean on their depth at corner and at safety and, number one, not get beat, but number two, not get tired or not get caught with tired players on the field because when that happens – that's when you get gashed for massive games. So they need to do that or they won't win this game. Who's more likely to have their breakout game on Sunday, Devontae Parker or Hunter Henry? Great question because both guys are in desperate need of a big productive day. In my opinion, Uh, I'm going to go with Hunter Henry here because I just feel like whatever is going on between Mac Jones and Devontae Parker I'm not sure it gets solved in a week. And and I say, what's going on here? I talked to Parker for a while after that Steelers game, and he was just lamenting the fact that their timing is off. Now, can that get fixed in a week of practice? I asked him that, and he said, well, we've, we've had plenty of practice time. I mean, they, they really did. They, they caught all kinds of reps together all summer long, all kinds of reps together the first two weeks of the season leading up to those games, and the timing still wasn't there. And I wonder what that's about and how that can get fixed if it's going to just take more reps or if it's just the coverages that they were seeing or how these defensive backs in Miami and Pittsburgh were playing Parker. I just, I don't see that one remedying itself in one week, Brady. So I know Mac Jones and Hunter Henry have great chemistry together. I think the Patriots are trying to figure out how to get Hunter Henry on the field a little bit more. He and John Smith basically split reps in week two. I think he'll play a little bit more this weekend. And I think, if I if I if I had to lean on one of these two guys that you mentioned getting in the end zone, uh, for me it'd be Hunter Henry. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston Patriots Insider. He's usually with us every Friday at five forty five, but today amending his schedule to accommodate our amended schedule. You can watch Phil and the crew on pregame live on Sunday from Foxborough as they get ready for the Pats home opener against the Ravens. Their coverage begins at noon. Kickoff is at one. They might be talking about the Celtics mess up until noon on Sunday, but once noon hits. Phil and the crew uh, live from Foxborough. Phil, we appreciate it. Thanks for doing this in the morning with us. Thanks as always, Brady. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, certainly the best. For my money, Phil is the best Patriots insider that there is. Look, Phil's a very, very detail-oriented football mind. If you are a new listener to you know to us because we're on in your usual Vermont viewpoint time slot, some of what Phil said probably went over your head, and that's okay. Football is a very complicated game. Bottom line, what Phil is telling you is that usually the Patriots like to play one defender you know, as far back as possible, right? A lot of teams will play two guys even as far back as possible. The Patriots like to play one, usually. If you do that, you allow Lamar Jackson more room deep down the field to find guys that are open because you only have one guy there as the last line of defense. Phil's telling you maybe the Patriots will do what other teams do, but uncharacteristic for them and play two guys deep to serve as a last line of defense. Phil liked my idea, though, of letting the Ravens run. Look, 
it, when you're watching the game, you'll get frustrated at seeing the Ravens move the ball down the field. But them running for four yards, five yards, and seven yards is a lot better than them passing it for 38, 37 and scoring a touchdown and you being cooked in two plays, which is what the Ravens have the ability to do. I asked Phil what he wanted to see and what he needed to see from the Patriots in week three. I'll give you what I want to see and need to see. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Patriots Ravens Sunday at 1. And uh, we are your home for Patriots football. We'll have the Pats for you on this station when the Red Sox season is over, which is sadly coming uh, very soon at this point. I just asked Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston, things that he wants to see on Sunday from the Pats and things that he needs to see. I've got a whole laundry list of things I want need to see. I open up the phone lines and the text line for you. What do you want to see from the Pats? What do you need to see? 802-244-1777. That's the phone number that you're used to. The text line is 802 585 3026. I know two different numbers. It's a lot to remember. I had to write it down myself. 244-1777 on the phone and 802-585-3026 on the text line. Danny, I got a lot of things that I want and need to see. My first want is I just want to see Mac Jones look more comfortable. Okay. He's been tentative he's been unsure he's thrown off his back foot phil talked about wanting to see the pats give him more control and more command mac has looked unsure of himself at times in a way that he didn't look in year one of his career last year and we had on earlier this week the voice of the patriots bob sosi who echoed those sentiments I think, you know, what we've seen from day one of training camp is that it's been a big adjustment for the quarterback. And I think it certainly has uh, shown itself as well uh, on the field. Uh, so, I, you know, it has been uneven. Uh, there have been some inaccurate throws uncharacteristically. I want to see that stuff corrected. I want to see Mac Jones look comfortable because when you are comfortable when you are in control the game slows down for you at times now it looks like the it looks like the game has sped up on mac jones and that's not a recipe for success this patriots team is going to go as far as mac jones can take them i know teams can be built on defense and the patriots have played reasonably well on defense through two weeks but the defense should not be this team's calling card the offense should be, and Mac Jones is the leader of that offense, and until he gets comfortable, the offense is going to continue to sputter. Offense, or uh, want number two, and I don't think we're going to get it, but the thing I want to see is I want to see the Patriots use pre-snap motion. And again, if you are new to sports, if you're new to football, and you're just kind of listening to this for the first time, what this is is that when the offense gets up to the line of scrimmage, you will see a lot of teams move players all around the line of scrimmage. One wide receiver will go from the left side of your television screen to your right side of your television, or from the top of your screen to your bottom of your screen. And what that does is what teams are accomplishing in that. It doesn't just look cool. They are the defense is giving them cues as to what they're doing. If a wide receiver moves from one side of the field to the other and a defender travels with them, well, that tells you that it's man to man coverage. And that tells you what plays you have will work against that. If a guy moves from one side of the field to the other and nobody goes with him, 
that tells you that it's zone coverage. And now you know what plays will work against that as well. The Patriots don't do that. The Patriots are last in the NFL. Last, dead last in the NFL in pre-snap motion. Okay, And it's like in modern football, all the good teams, all the good offenses, all the explosive offenses are doing this. We spoke with Matt Verderam, the NFL director at Fansided.com earlier this week about pre-snap motion. There's a lot of advantages to it. By the way, if you look at the Dolphins, the biggest difference in that offense this year, other than Tyreek Hill, they use motion constantly at the snap. Constantly. And it creates indecision by the defenders. New England not using it when you have a second-year quarterback and, frankly, not enough talent to just say we'll beat them straight up. I don't understand. The Patriots do not have enough talent to beat you straight up, right? Back with Tom Brady, you could just roll the ball out and, hey, we've got the best quarterback. And more often than not in the NFL, if you have the best quarterback, you can win the game, right? You can just line up and play. The Patriots don't have that advantage. Most times when they play, Mac Jones is even or worse with the quarterback they're playing. That's going to be the case on Sunday. I want to see the Patriots utilize pre-snap motion, create that indecision, help their offense identify what the defense is doing. I don't think they're going to do it. The offense is a work in progress. It's probably something we see later in the year than at the beginning, but it's something that I'm going to be looking for. And want number three for me, Danny. I want to see the Patriots force at least one turnover. They they will not win this game without forcing some kind of turnover, right? I'm calling for the Patriots to let the Ravens run on them. They're going to have to force a fumble at some point. They're going to have to turn the ball over. A six-minute Ravens drive that ends in no points is a great thing for the Patriots. Well, ending in no points would be aided if you could punch the football out. So force at least one turnover. Things that I need to see... I'm going to go right back to the last question I asked Phil Perry. I need to see Hunter Henry get involved. Hunter Henry was Mac Jones's favorite red zone target last year. I believe he had double-digit touchdowns. The Patriots have had two of the highest-paid tight ends in football, and right now neither one of them can get the ball, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. And I want to see Hunter Henry take off in this week here. Phil said he thought Hunter Henry was more likely to take off than Devontae Parker. And, and I talked with Bob Sosie earlier this week about Hunter's, about Henry's lack of production. You know, when I look at uh, the red zone opportunities, Brady, uh, the Patriots one for three in the red zone against Pittsburgh. Uh, they only had one trip inside the red zone because Matt threw the interception on the first series from the 22 uh, toward Devontae Parker in Miami. And, and the red zone is really where Hunter made his mark last year with all those touchdown catches. Patriots have to get into the red zone to Bob's point, and they do have to capitalize when they're there. I need to see Hunter Henry be a factor in this offense. He's making far too much money to do bupkis, as are several of the Patriots' offensive players. And finally, Danny, my number two need that I need to see, I need to see Bill Belichick be that difference maker. They're going to have to just beat you in situational football. They're going to have to out-coach you. No, that's not that's not the one I want. I didn't need a clip there. Sorry, my bad. I, I pointed at you, but only because I'm talking for emphasis. My mistake. Um, I need to see Bill Belichick be a difference maker, right? The Patriots don't have enough top-end talent, right? Like Talent is not their separator. Their separator is their head coach. 
their difference maker is their head coach. Lamar Jackson's a difference maker. Patrick Mahomes is a difference maker. Josh Allen is a difference maker. Those players are difference makers for their teams. The Patriots don't have that difference maker. Their difference maker is Bill Belichick. He needs to come up with a game plan and with a scheme that can help them win this game. I think I've got it. I've mentioned it a bunch over the course of the show. Bring back the 1990s Super Bowl um, game plan against the Buffalo Bills. That kind of impact Belichick needs to have. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com, CBS News, and then we take you all around the NFL with our six-pack of NFL questions for week three. CBS News Brief. A big storm is heading towards Florida next week. Meteorologist David Parkinson. Tropical Depression 9 likely to become Hurricane Hermine by the end of the weekend and start of next week and some real impacts for a large part of the East Coast. Meanwhile, in Bermuda... Hurricane Fiona's battering the island, knocking out power to more than 20,000 people. But Stephen Kosham with Bermuda Disaster Management tells us... We haven't had very many calls from the public at all. So based on that and what we experienced in previous hurricanes, we're expecting not to see too much damage. In L.A. County, masks are no longer required on public transportation, including in airports. The mandate was lifted today. I think it's political and I think it's a really dumb thing to do. New York State lifted the same mandate earlier this month. A federal judge ended the mandate nationwide back in April. CBS News Brief. I'm Stacey Lynn. The WDEV studio is sponsored by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont's largest independent home center, powered by Marvin Doors and Windows. Go to sticksandstuff.com for store locations and hours. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in special edition of the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We've talked a lot about the Patriots today, and we're going to do more of that on the Brady Farkas Show's nighttime version. So we'll be back on again from 530 until 610. I want to get to the league at large right now. Danny, every Friday at about 6 o'clock on the Brady Farkas Show, we do our six-pack of NFL questions. And it feels appropriate, right? Works over for most people. Crack open the six-pack, start the weekend. It feels a little odd talking about six-pack of NFL questions here at 10.33 in the morning, but we're going to do it anyways. So make it a six-pack of soda for all I care. But, uh, you know, six-pack of NFL questions. Cue the music. Oh. All right. Music's ready. We're ready. Six-pack of NFL questions. Let's hear from the big voice guy, Danny. Question number one. The best game of the NFL weekend is... Best game of the NFL weekend, people are going to, you're going to look at me like I have four heads. I'm going Lions at Vikings. I'm going Lions at Vikings. And and I am a sucker for losing franchises. Like, I am a total sucker for it. I've rooted for the Seattle Mariners my entire life. They haven't made the playoffs in 20 years. The Mariners' playoff drought is old enough to drink. So, like, I know all about losing franchises, and I I am a sucker for losing franchises when they get a little bit of life. And the Lions have a little bit of life right now. I am all in on watching the Lions at this point. And I actually think this is going to be a very good game. It's an NFC North divisional matchup. Lions are at one and one. They have a chance to get to over 500 for the first time since God knows when. They 
the Lions don't look now. They are tied for second in the league in scoring offense through two weeks. They're averaging 35 and a half points a game. They scored 30 plus against Philly. They they rolled Washington last week. Amon Ross St. Brown is a very good receiver. They've I was about got to say he's on your fantasy team. This is why you're watching, right? I don't do fantasy football. <laughs> I don't like fantasy football. I love fantasy sports. Hate fantasy football. Will not play it. Really? I'd rather gamble on the NFL and lose money that way than, than do fantasy. Hmm. Because there's too many injuries. You have a good draft and your whole team is shot by week four. I'm good with that. I don't I don't do fantasy football. But Amon Ross St. Brown's awesome. DeAndre Swift, you know, the Lions are leading the league in yards per rushing attempt. DeAndre Swift's averaging you know, is a, is a beast. I got a great offensive line, Penny Sewell, who they drafted in the first round a year ago. And the Vikings were kind of everybody's team in the NFL. Every year we do this, you know, who's going to go from worst to first, which playoff team or which non-playoff team is going to be a playoff team the next year. The Vikings are kind of everyone's it team. People think they can unseat the Packers. They look great in week one. They got rolled in week two on Monday night football by the Philadelphia Eagles. So this is an important game. It's a divisional matchup. It's one team that's trending up in Detroit. It's one team that seems to be, we're not quite sure what they are in Minnesota. Again, the fact that I'm putting the Lions in the best game category, I know makes me a nut job, but I had to get up at 6.30 this morning. I am a bit of a nut job today being in here. So, yes, Lions at Vikings, best game of the NFL weekend. Question number two. The game that intrigues us most is... Yeah, the game that intrigues me most is a game between two winless teams, and that is the Raiders on the road at the Tennessee Titans, okay? If you go 0-3 in a season, your season's largely over. And these were two playoff teams from a year ago. So really, now it's a 17-game season, so that math over time, you may not be totally cooked at 0-3, but you are in a real bad way if you're 0-3. And this is a Raiders team that had a lot of expectations. New head coach in Josh McDaniels, franchise quarterback in Derek Carr, made the playoffs a year ago, pay Darren Waller the tight end. Go acquire and trade and pay Devontae Adams at wide receiver. So the, the Raiders are loaded. They cannot afford to go 0-3. They shouldn't be 0-3. They're on the road trying to save their season. The Titans, they were the number one seed in the AFC playoffs a year ago. And now there's all kinds of questions about them. Derrick Henry can't get going. He's got 107 yards rushing in two games. So that's inexcusable for the best running back in the league. He's not getting any help from his quarterback either. Ryan Tannehill is struggling. There's already questions about how long he'll last before Malik Wills takes over as the starting quarterback. Vrabel is a good coach. McDaniels is a good coach. And one of them is going to be 0-3 at the end of this week. This is the game that intrigues me most because somebody's back is against the wall very, very early in the season. The Bar Rescue Game of the Week is... Yeah, the Bar Rescue Game of the Week is our code name for the worst game of the NFL weekend. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Danny, but back in the day, they still make them, but there's a television show on the Paramount Network called Bar Rescue. And every Sunday, there is a, like, 12-hour Bar Rescue Marathon. And it's just, you, you've, you, when you're hungover as hell... You don't want to drink anymore, but you want to watch people talk about drinking. That's when Bar Rescue does you well, right? You wake up hungover at 9 a.m., you roll around in your bed, you force feed yourself some pancakes, you lay back down until 3 in the afternoon, and Bar Rescue is still there for you. So the game, I would rather watch Bar Rescue marathons than watch this NFL game, the worst NFL game of the weekend. That, to me, the Texans at the Bears. I mean, 
We're talking about two of the worst teams in the NFL going into this year right now. I mean, the Texans have some stuff, right? Damian Pierce is a good rookie running back. Davis Mills is better than we thought. But at the end of the day, the Texans are all one and one. They tied week one. They got beat by Denver last week. They were the worst team in the league or, you know, one of the worst teams in the NFL last year. No faith in the Texans. The Bears are supposed to be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year, too. I like Justin Fields. I do have interest in watching him. They've passed it 28 times in two games. An average of 14 passes a game in the modern NFL. That's not good enough. Now, it was a driving rainstorm in week one. That contributed to the lack of passing. I get that. Danny's about to call me out on that. But Brady was raining. Yeah, I know. But anyways, Bears, Texans, two teams that could be fighting for the top pick of the draft next year. I'd rather watch John Taffer yell at some worthless bar owner in Topeka. The player we want to watch most this week is Josh Allen. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills have become must-watch television. And the Bills, by the way, are taking on the Dolphins. Both those teams are 2-0. That's a divisional matchup also battling right now for AFC East supremacy. Now, we think the Bills are better. The Bills have just rolled everybody. I mean, my God, they they just shredded the Super Bowl champion Rams on the road in the opener. Then they beat the Titans last year's number one seed in the AFC playoffs, 41-7. to And they're doing this because they have a cyborg at quarterback. Okay, Josh Allen is... Six foot five with a rocket arm can run you over and can run around you. Josh Allen is, I mean, you know, he is at this point a generational talent. And that's the guy that I want to watch because Josh Allen has been so good in this early season. The player with the most pressure this week is. I'm going to take a bit of a cop out here. Player with the most pressure, any quarterback who is the quarterback of an 0 2 team. If you are a team that is 0-2, your season is on the line this week. So I'm looking at you, Ryan Tannehill. I'm looking at you, Derek Carr. I'm looking at you, Joe Burrow, the team that went to the Super Bowl a year ago in Cincinnati. Matt Ryan, the Colts are 0-1-1, but Matt Ryan, I'm looking at you. You're winless right now. The Colts are supposed to be the class of the AFC South. So if you are the quarterback of an 0-2 team, your season is on the line. Marcus Mariota, he's trying to hold off. Desmond Ritter is the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. I know Mariota is not on the same level of expectation as a guy like Burrow is, but if you are the quarterback of an 0-2 team, your season is on the line. You can throw in, uh, let me see, uh, well, where's my NFC standings at? Winless teams in the NFC. Yeah, the Panthers, Baker Mayfield. That's the one I was missing. So, and he, like, I think, I think Mayfield's got a little bit of leash there because I think Sam Darnold's awful. But P.J. Walker is a decent enough player. Maybe they could move to him. So if you are a, if you are a team that's 0-2 or winless in the case of the Colts, your quarterback is under a huge amount of pressure. The most amazing NFL stat of the weekend is... The most amazing stat of the NFL weekend. Danny, I, you might believe this when I tell you, but it's still... Pretty unbelievable. And I got to get it in front of me again here. The Jacksonville Jaguars have lost 19 consecutive road games. No, the Jaguars have lost 19 consecutive road games. Who are the Jaguars? Find me the schedule. Who are the Jaguars playing this week? Hold on. Oh, they're playing the Chargers. There we go. Okay. They're playing the Chargers. Hell. Yeah, that yeah, that of course it's going to be an L. I mean, uh, this game is at 4:05 on Sunday. It, 
19 consecutive road games. Oh, no, it's 18. I'm sorry. It's 18 straight About road games. About to be 19. Games. Back to 2019 it goes. Like, NFL teams, as bad as they are, they're still NFL players. You can luck into a victory in the NFL every once in a while. It's hard to go winless. The Jaguars have gone winless on the road for two full seasons here. Oh, and their last 18 on the road game, on, on the road. They're going to, to, to L.A. Justin Herbert's banged up. The Chargers are far better than the Jaguars. I don't know exactly where Herbert's at health-wise. I don't think this is a week that the Jaguars go and get that road monkey off their back. But, damn. If we had the Cleveland Browns at the beginning of the year who were winless in 17, 18 consecutive opening days. That was an incredible stat. And the Jaguars now winless in 18 consecutive road games back to 2019. That is our six-pack of NFL questions here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, we're on for a special one-off show today, 9 to 11. We're also back tonight on the Brady Farkas Show for 40 minutes, 5.30 until 6.10. The Boston Celtics are having a press conference about their coaching situation in about 15 minutes, so we'll have some of the takeaways from that in the nightcap of the Brady Farkas Show. But when we come back, Danny, Patriots quarterback Mac Jones says he doesn't look at the stats and he doesn't know how he's doing. I think he's full of baloney. Do you believe him? We'll find out next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. We are all such losers. Just head bobbing here in the studio to that return. Danny, the producer, is dancing. Steven, the digital guy, he's he's dancing. I'm head bobbing. That's the famous Nelly joint grills there. I saw Nelly in concert at the Champlain Valley Fair. Awesome concert. I was so in my like early 2000s, you know, teenage years again. I was like reborn again at the Nelly concert at the fair. Um, Dana, I had a moment today, though. And we're going to get to Mac Jones in a minute here. I had I had one of those moments this morning where I realized I'm getting old. Uh oh, like I'm developing more crotchety old man tendencies by the day. Like I still think to myself, I'm relatively young. I'm 32, fairly athletic, fairly hip enough. Like I still think I have some of that. But every once in a while, I will get it. I will realize to myself, damn, you are getting old. And today. I was mad at every driver on the road. And that is something that every old man can relate to. Nobody was driving well enough for me. So I pulled out of my apartment complex. And I live right next to Essex High School, right? So I pulled out of my apartment complex. And I have a clear lane to turn left. And there's somebody coming straight. And, you know, like, I I had plenty of time to make the left as they're coming straight. No, no, no. This person wanted to go like 195 miles an hour. So I had to peel out and zoom it on my left so as to not get rear-ended by this person. I thought I was going to end up on the accident report on the morning news service because of this girl. But, like, I'm like, what are you doing? You got – why are you going so fast? It's a school zone. It tur- she turned into the high school, so I'm not even yelling at some 17-year-old or something who's probably just got their driver's license. But I'm flipping out about her. So that was number one. Then – I'm I'm trying to turn left on the main street in Essex and the person in front of me just will not go like just will not go at all. And like main street in Essex is busy, 
So there's a lot of people coming both ways. I'm like, buddy, you're not going to get a totally clear zone here. You're going to have to go at some point. You're not going to get the road emptied for you. This person was waiting for the road to be empty. I'm like, buddy, I got a show to get to. We're on in mornings. This could be my big break. Why are we? Am I going to miss this show because you refuse to turn left without completely empty traffic? So that guy ticked me off. And then finally, here was the kicker. Here was the kicker right out in front of the building, Stowe Street in Waterbury. There's like probably 10 spots along the right, right in front of our building. And the odds are good that you're going to have to parallel park in those spots, right? Not always. Sometimes you can just drive up and get one. But the odds are good you're going to have to parallel park. There are probably four spaces open on, on Main Street or on Stowe Street on that, on that right-hand side. And there's four spots. Let me see. There's four spots open. Guy just is sitting in the middle of the road. He's got his blinker on. He wants one of those spots. I'm like, buddy, you're trying to parallel park this one spot. Drive up three damn car lengths, and there's three spots in a row open right there. Instead, nobody can get around you. You are now holding up the road for this one spot on the right. Like, this isn't the magic parking spot. Okay, if you, I promise you, if you drive up three and a half more seconds, you've got three spots right there. You can pull into one of them. You don't even have to parallel park it. But I'm like, so the teenager can't drive. The, the middle-aged guy won't turn left. And this guy is taking up the entire roadway, refusing to turn it to pull into a spot that's right there. I'm like, this is how I know I'm becoming an old man. You're yelling be- at drivers. You're becoming the progressive commercial. We can't help you from becoming your parents. <laughs> Those are the best commercials on TV. By they really the way. are. Though I, I love that guy. Maybe that's the reason I'm getting old because I can relate to this stuff. So, uh, hey, we were talking earlier about um, we were talking earlier about Aaron Judge's baseball and how much it's worth and all that if he hits a home run. A dollar bill signed by Elon Musk, a one dollar bill just went for 20 grand. What? A $1 bill signed by Elon Musk just went for 20 grand. Elon Musk's signature is literally an E with an M. It's like something a two-year-old could do, could scribble out there, and it went for 20 grand. So the Aaron Judge baseball could be worth, you know, a million if Elon Musk's signature can, on a dollar bill can go for 20 grand. All right. 802-585-3026. That's a Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. I want to call BS on Patriots quarterback Mac Jones. Mac Jones was talking earlier this week about his personal productivity within the Patriots offense. Danny, let's hear what he had to say. Um, I'm not sure about the stats and stuff. I don't really look at them, so I don't have much information there for you. The only one, like I said, is the it's either a W or an L. Um, that's the only one that matters. Mac Jones says winning is all that matters. Yes, he's true. Thank you, Mr. Cliche Robot Man. But he also says he doesn't look at the stats and he doesn't know what they are. Erodious, erodious on all counts. Of course he knows what his stats are. Every player in the damn league knows what they're doing. I'm not saying he's counting them as he goes to the game. I'm not saying he's got it posted in his locker. But Mac Jones, like every other athlete, knows what their stats are. And here's why, Danny. Because newsflash, your stats matter a lot in a lot of different ways. Guys know their stats because it affects their future contract and their earnings. So people know that they need to play well in order to get paid well. So people will know when they're being productive or when they're not. People also are per- people also know their stats because they want to keep their jobs. And they know if they do not perform, somebody else will come and take their spot also. 
Mac Jones is in neither one of those situations right now. He's not. He's only in year 205 of his contract, so he's not in a position that his stats affect his earnings yet. But guys do pay attention to their stats for that. And he's also not in a position to be benched because the Patriots have no one behind him. But the third reason guys know their stats is human nature. Okay, You want to know, am I part of the solution or am I holding us back? And at some point in your season, you want to think to yourself, am I contributing to this or am I taking away from it? So sometimes your stats affect your earnings. Sometimes they affect your playing time and your roster spot. That's not Mac, but human nature then kicks in and you wonder, hey, am I driving this bus or am I just a passenger being towed behind it? And so everybody knows their stats. Travis, who's watching on Facebook Live, says, I'm calling BS on Mac Jones. Of course he looks. Yes, of course he does. He absolutely looks. I mean, Danny, do you think Mac Jones doesn't know what he's doing productivity-wise? Absolutely. He knows. Yeah. He has to know. I got. Aren't there bonuses for making the Pro Bowl? Yeah, there's bonuses and things like that. But again, I, I I truly do believe that Max not as interested in the money aspect right now. He's too he's got too much time left on his contract to not care to care about that. I just think you wonder like, hey, am I really doing all that I could be doing to help here? Am I really a big part of this? And I think that's where human nature sets in. Again, he doesn't necessarily know that he threw for three twelve versus two ninety five. But he knows when he threw for 115 versus 315. He knows that. On that note, I got to ask you this. Speaking of knowing your stats, I'm playing men's league basketball, right? Every Monday night, Essex Junction Parks and Rec League. Shout out, what up? Um, I'm playing men's league basketball every Monday. I keep my stats in my head as I'm playing. Does that make me the world's biggest tool bag, in your opinion? Maybe not the biggest tool bag, but you're on the way. You, you you think that's a bad look? I don't know if it's a bad look. I think you have an idea in the back of your head how many points I scored. If you're writing it down every single day and keeping a season average. I'm not necessarily doing that, but I know I had 29 in the first game of my season. I had 34 the other day, and I kept track of my head. Like I knew, like, okay, I hit that three. I just went from 16 to 19. That's I hit normal. that two. Oh, you think that's normal? So that doesn't make me a loser. No, I think most people would do that. I asked Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio if I was a loser the other day. Here's what he said. No, because it's recreational basketball, and you're supposed to get out of it what you want to get out of it. So I've never looked at that if people are keeping stats because they keep stats to see who's going to win or who's going to lose. So if you're keeping track of that, no, I don't go that far. Now, if you're having like a, let's say, a year-to-year, what you're doing year-to-year, then I worry about that. At that point, you're making a life choice that may not be a good life choice. But if you're doing that each and every game during a year, and then you move on to the next year, forget about it. Nah, I don't think I would use that term loser when it comes to that. I wouldn't do that. All right, good. So so Danny and Freddie are kind of on the exact same train of thought here. As long as I'm not keeping track season to season, I'm good. But I know what I'm doing game to game, and it matters to me. And the reason why it matters is like, I get, here's a news flash. I'm very tall and thin. I don't like to get hit. I'm not battling for rebounds. And odds are I'm not playing a whole lot of defense either. So if I'm not rebounding and playing defense, the way I'm contributing is scoring. So I'm going to know how much I score because that's what I'm contributing to the team. If I, if I gave up 20, I don't know that. But if I scored 29, I damn well know that. And Mac Jones knows it too. Mac Jones knows his stats. Brady Farkas knows his stats. Everybody knows their stats. Um, Danny, you were just answering the phone, but uh, I was saying, I don't play defense, and I'm too thin and 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 weak to rebound. 
Scoring's all I got. So, yeah, I'm going to keep track of my scoring because that's what I'm contributing. Everybody who plays in a men's league basketball league has their role. Some guys are the hustle guy who get rebounds because they can't score. I'm the guy who can score and chooses not to do anything else. As long as I'm scoring more than I'm allowing, I consider it good. So you run three-point line to three-point line? Uh, preferably, yes. Sometimes yeah. I'll go for the occasional layup, but only if it's a fast-break opportunity. I don't want to get hit. you got to save the energy. I, I, someone just called in. Anybody have anything good to say? No. Okay. I wonder how many calls we fielded today that have nothing good to say. Like, we're a new show on in a different time slot just for the day. I wonder how many phone calls Kai and Charlotte have fielded downstairs. Like, where's my Vermont viewpoint? Why is this tool bag on? They'll adjust. It's only a one-day thing. They don't even need to adjust. By the time I adjust to it, I'm going to be back in the afternoon. They'll be okay. I hope everyone's okay. This has been fun, though. It, it has. The morning, man, it's a different, uh, it's a different animal. It's a, it's a very sophisticated listener in the morning. I'm not taking anything away from my afternoon listeners because they're sophisticated, too. But they've gotten off of work, and they're, like, you know, ready to relax a little bit. The morning crew is like, our day just started. The coffee's hot. My my caffeine's kicked in. I'm ready to go. Like you got to be on your p's and q's to do the morning. So you sound like you had some caffeine this morning too. So. Never had a cup of coffee in my life. It's amazing. I I don't think caffeine works on me. Really? I know I'm one of those guys. Like super irritating. Like guy who doesn't use a cell phone and guy who doesn't drink coffee and then tells you about it are like two of the most annoying people you can be around. But uh, yeah, I've never had a cup of coffee. I can have four Mountain Dews before bed and fall right to sleep. Drink a couple of Red Bulls after the show. We'll see what happens to you. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll report back in the afternoon in the uh, afternoon version of the show. Thanks to Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. He stopped by. Thanks to Daniel Wilcox, former Baltimore Ravens tight end. Kaya, who commandeered the mic for a little bit also. Uh, we've got uh, Bill Sayer, Common Sense, coming up next. Thanks to Danny. Thanks to Stephen for helping. Thanks to all you for listening. I'm back to the afternoons later on DEV.